Hello, all you podcast listeners. My name is James Noka, and I'd like to welcome you to the Knife Journal Podcast, episode number 69. here with Kyle Versteg in a very, very chilly Thursday afternoon, and we are going to give you all of your knife pleasures today. Yes. <laughs> That's quite a way to put it. Uh, well, you know how it is. We have that addiction. Yeah. You know, we've got to feed the addiction. This is one way to do it. That's Stop right. Stop spending any money because it's brought to you free of charge. Yeah. Can't beat that with a stick. Nope. Can't beat that with a stick. We do appreciate it when you take the time for all this great entertainment to drop us a little uh, positive review on iTunes. That'd be real Mm. nice, but, you know, we don't charge and we certainly don't expect it, so. Yep, yep. What's new? And guess what? You get what you paid for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a value, actually. (laughs) I. Once again, my kids love it. So I mean, my my two boys listen to every episode, and they're they're uh, they're always calling up and going, "God, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that last one." <laughs> That's so, funny. So everybody, new? my my dog is on my lap. So if you hear like some noises, it's her snoring occasionally. Yeah. So it's not it's not the beans that you ate for breakfast. No, you know, I didn't uh, didn't have any beans this morning, although I wouldn't be above that. You know, that was on one toast. of the, that was one of the breakfasts in uh, uh, Afghanistan that we had fairly often was uh, scrambled eggs, pork and beans on toast. Yeah, that's good. Beans yep. on toast is really good. Yep, it's kind of a kind of one of those funny deals. I but <clears throat> what's new? Anything new? Well, I went up to uh, fly my drone today. Oh, did you? Yeah, I you better do it. A... You better do it now before they start making you buy a license. Yeah, right. Well, I I, uh, I should have a video up on uh, YouTube later today about the uh, uh, about the uh, whole thing. So if you look on the Average Iowa Guy channel, there will be a video up there later. Uh, just basically a year's worth of footage of droning stuff and droning people, and it's pretty fun. Are you um, flying under 500 feet like you're supposed to? No. I fly wherever the hell I want. Yeah. They're going to start shooting you down. Oh, they will not. Yeah, Skynet's going to get you. Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> Skynet's going to get you. Well, so yeah, I, have, I have one of the first... Um, DJI drones. It's like the one that just crashed into the White House lawn. Um, <laughs> but I and I have. Um, you weren't responsible for that. No, I, I, if I was, I wouldn't be here on the podcast today. But well, I we didn't uh, say where you're doing your podcast from. I mean, you could be doing it from Federal Sing Pen Sing. or whatever, or Guantanamo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Guantanamo. <laughs> no, so. Uh, uh, I have one of the original uh, DJI, DJI Phantom Vision 2s that I got after I was in the Philippines. I was up there, and uh, CNN 
I think I think they said they were CNN were staying in this uh, armed and walled compound that we uh, set up when I was over there because it was in the first few days after the typhoon. And one morning I was in my hammock and I heard this buzzing sound. It sounded like a billion bees. So I got out of my hammock and looked and there was this like quadcopter flying. And the guy was standing on top of a semi-trailer uh, flying this thing around and taking video of uh, the area and all the stuff. And uh, he brought it in and landed. I said, hey, what's uh, what's that? And he said, oh, this is a DJI whatever. I'm like, oh, okay. And as soon as I got Wi-Fi again on the way back, I think I was in Taiwan or something, I ordered one. Because <laughs> it, it's just so awesome. I mean, it... it uh, it knows exactly where it is. Uh, it's stable to fly. I've never crashed it. It sends live video feed from the unit back to my iPhone. Uh, How do, now, what is that? Does that Bluetooth it or does it Wi-Fi no, it? Wi- wi- what, what does it, it do? It Wi-Fi's it. It's got a quarter mile range. And uh, I haven't updated the firmware because if I ever update the firmware, it'll put all these restrictions on me flying it. Oh. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so mine is a completely unrestricted, like, awesome OG drone. What are they? Are they putting it? So, are they making it so they they can't go over five hundred feet? Is that what they're doing? No, it's. I don't think it's five hundred feet. I think the right now there there's um, restrictions. You can't fly within five miles of a uh, major airport or within one kilometer of a tiny airport. Uh, and then there's, you know, if a, if a municipality enacts a law saying you can't fly drones there, then they update the firmware with that municipality's rules. Uh, and then, of course, within a 15-mile radius of the White House, you can't fly a drone. I mean, not that I would anyway. It's just I don't want some damn company from China, you know, grounding my drone. Seems like seems like if you lived within 15 miles of the White House, you'd be kind of pissed off. You couldn't fly one. Well, you'd have to you'd have to drive a little ways to fly it. Yeah. But uh, but you know, I I wouldn't try to fly it there anyway because that's a good way to end up in Guantanamo. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That was, so okay, I did so, that. What else well, is new? I, um, I went. Uh, up to Taquamanon Falls last weekend, last Saturday. Where's that at? And uh, up no, you'll, northern Michigan, up in the UP. There's a okay. um, uh, very famous river called the Taquamanon River, okay. which is flows brown water because of the tannin in the water. <clears throat> oh, it must run through a, a bog or something. Yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, uh, it's a, I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful park. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. They have some pathways that go down to the water, and and uh, hell, there was probably there was probably three foot of packed snow on the walkway. Oh, okay. You know, so it was pretty. It was it was pretty fun, and uh, they do a deal where every weekend in February they were giving away. They were not giving away, but you could use uh, snowshoes. They were providing you snowshoes if you wanted to try out snowshoes and and um, walk around, but the pathways were pretty packed down you really didn't even need snowshoes unless you were walking off the paths then you definitely needed snowshoes mm-hmm. um so we went up there and then we went to a um uh there's a there's a brewery right on the site mm-hmm. 
uh, of the Upper Falls, and we went to dinner at the brewery last weekend. It was it was pretty awesome. We had a great time. Sweet. And yeah, went to a gun show last weekend. Got into a kind of a argument with a guy about, you know, he did one of these numbers on me. I've been in the business for fifty five years. I know an American knife when I see one, and so and so company doesn't make any knives overseas. They're only they're all made in the USA, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to argue with you, chubby. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and it was one of those. It was like, one of those moments where you go, okay, it's I don't want to. I'm not going to argue with him. Hmm. You know, he was already making a big enough fool of himself that no matter what he said, nobody was listening to him. Yeah, <laughs> well, basically. Yeah, so I got I, kind of a kick I, out of that. I actually have a question for you. Um, so I'm reading this article in the Washington Examiner, and the title of the article is Obama to ban bullets by executive action threatens top selling AR-15 rifle. And so I'll just read a little bit of the article. It's starting as promised. President Obama is using executive actions to impose gun control on the nation, targeting the top selling rifle in the country, the AR-15 style semi-automatic with a ban on one of the most popular used AR bullets by sportsmen and target shooters. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives this month revealed that it was proposing to put a ban on 5.56mm ammo on the fast track, immediately driving up the price of the bullets and prompting retailers, including the huge outdoors company Cabela's, to urge sportsmen to urge Congress to stop the president. Wednesday night, Representative Bob Goodlatte, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, stepped in with a critical letter to the Bureau demanding it explain the surprise and abrupt bullet ban. The letter is shown below. Um, But anyway, it says uh, the issue is a so-called armor-piercing ammunition, an exemption for those bullets mostly used for sport by AR-15 owners, and the recent popularity of pistol-type ARs that use the ammo. The inexpensive 5.56M885 ammo, commonly called green tips, have been exempt for years as as have higher caliber ammunition that also easily pierces the soft type of body armor worn by police because it's mostly used by target shooters, not criminals. The agency proposes to reclassify it as armor-piercing and not exempt. So it sounds like they're going to be able to get that done. Nah, I think that'll be in court before before they can actually... I think what they'll do is they'll try... To make a rule to pet, to ban it, and or to claim that the, it's illegal to own, you know. I mean, but you know how many, how many thousands of rounds of green tips are in the hands of consumers right now? Millions, thousands I would and say. Thousands and millions, and yeah, I would say way, I mean, way more what, than thousands. <clears throat> I have a thousand rounds of that. Yeah, everybody, everybody has a ton of it. So, um, I, it's it's just it's once again it's you got a president that's trying to overstep his bounds as president. But that and yeah, but he's been able to get away with all this kind of shit, you know. Yeah, because because the fucking Republicans are not acting like Republicans; they're acting like freaking Democrats. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is they're going to keep doing that. 
Yeah. You know, no, uh, what they, what's to stop them from keeping doing that? And the other thing is, is like, I'm not positive that they can do anything about it. If the BATF says that it's illegal, then what what can Congress really do? Well, BATF can't make laws. Well, they I mean, it, that, it was already a, a law, but this particular type of ammo was exempt from it. So they're well, they, that means they would have to change the law. I mean, that's that's the part that everybody seems to miss. It's like you got they're, they're rewriting laws. Yeah, I mean, but that, that's what the, that's, the that's thing. what the judge that's what the well, you, you know what? It's like anything else. It's the, a bully keeps pushing, 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 pushing. Eventually, somebody's going to push back. And that's what's going to end up happening is we're going to. November was a revolution. And if the Republicans don't wake up to the fact that November was a revolution, they're going to be they're going to be out next time. The whole lot of them are going to be out next time. I mean, the whole lot, a whole assload of them were were out at this time. But who do you put in? That's the well, thing. You, you know, we just elected them to do a bunch of stuff, and they're just not even. Well, you, you know. I guess you you got to start putting in uh, citizen uh, um, citizen servants of the of the country. Hmm. You know, instead of politicians. You know, I mean, if. if this is getting to the point where the pushback is going to have to be a lot harder. The, the longer we wait, the pushback is going to have to be harder. And I, and I, I mean, we, we own the House and the Senate. And we still have to ask Harry Reid for permission to do stuff? Are you kidding me? What is wrong with them? You know, I mean, I was listening to this thing about net neutrality. This morning, hmm. <clears throat> and that's pretty. That's another thing that's going on. That's that's ridiculous. You know, if you have a successful website, you're gonna have to pay for how many people are on your website. You have to pay somebody. The whole point of having a website is to have people come into your website and 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 see it and use it and maybe buy stuff, maybe not. But now they they want to make it so that you have to pay for every person that comes onto your website. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know what their what their logic is behind all this stuff, except for you, it's control. It's a control issue. Yeah, they want to be able to control the content. You know, yeah. they want to be able to say, well, you know, blah blah blah. This is uh, telecom. Uh, we regulate telecom, and we're saying that this type of video cannot be on whatever. Right. You know, or you can't say this on here because there's not equal time with opposing views. Well, know? it's interesting. It's interesting that we're having that because films showing the evilness of what happened with ISIS and, and the and the uh, and the pilot are are you know the fact of the matter is is that when when people saw that they became outraged. They didn't become outraged that it was the content was on the vi on the computer that they could they could see that video. The outrage was why the fuck aren't we doing something about this? And it was it was kind of interesting to to kind of see that that was kind of like the tipping point to to have to have a video that was that strong. And I don't know if you watched that. No, I that do, I won't not, watch but, any of that. I I already know what what it is, so I don't but, I don't need to but see it was, any more of that. It was interesting to see the um, 
the slick nature of the of that video hmm. and and how they put it together and how long it took them to to actually you know to actually do it to do all the splicing to do all of the i mean they had multiple cameras shooting multiple things and having them fade in and fade out to different things and i mean from a from a a video maker's point of view um they did a some, pretty nice yeah it had some yeah, production they, value so yeah yeah they did a pretty good job of it but but the content was you know even if you watch it the watch the whole video up until the point where they catch the guy in fire you don't have to watch that to see how how hideous it is but watching it up to that point is uh is is kind of interesting i i found it amazing that they chose to do such a thing as that is to is to videotape and do i mean it just goes to show how how ruthless these people are and and i guess it either does one of two things it either makes people roll over and just let them have their way with you or it makes people angry and want to fight back well last week on the podcast i said that i thought that they were um, barbarians and that they were like uh uh the mongols um, yep. Back when they used to, well, and, and I said that we don't really care what the motivation of the Mongols was. We just wanted them gone. Well, I right. thought a little bit more about that because I also thought that 500 years from now, we're not going to really give a crap what ISIS was about religion-wise. Nobody gives a shit. They just want them gone. Right. Um, here's here's the difference between the Mongols and ISIS. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world who share the same um, religion, and a lot of them, who knows how many, even if it's just 1%, it's still, you know, millions and millions. Yeah, millions and millions of people uh, share the exact same ideology. Whereas when the Mongols were doing it, the Mongols were the only people that had that ideology. Right. You know, so they were basically opposed by the whole world instead of supported by a quarter of it. Yeah. You know, well, so, you know, the, and, so the, the, and the, the Vikings, the Vikings were similar to that, too. Yeah. I mean, it, I it's mean they had a similar. Yeah. You know, and the Vikings are all gone, um, except their DNA is in all of us. It's a, very strong in me. Um, right. But uh, let's see. How about some knife news? Well. I got an uh, article. Knife of New Hampshire Marine who raised Iwo Jima flag up for auction. So, uh, Oh, that's yep. cool. Yeah, the knife carried into battle and then on his hip when he raised the flag is going up for auction. Now, was that the first flag or the second flag? Who knows? The, the article doesn't specify. <laughs> so that's positive that... knife news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Where's the, where's the auction at? I, it said I'd, I'd something. Be interested in it. Yeah, it's um. Well, like they, it doesn't. Or? No, it doesn't say. Uh, let me see. Um, let me read down further. Uh, bidders may participate online, but it doesn't give a link, and it's out of the articles out of uh, New Hampshire. So, uh, let's see another knife article. Cortland man shoplifting from Kmart, uh, caught with cocaine, marijuana, and knife, police say. A Cortland man who was stopped while shoplifting from Kmart was found to have cocaine, marijuana, and a butterfly knife. So there you go. Butterfly knives in the news. (laughs) Oh, they're bad. Yeah. 
<laughs> they're 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 terrible. I don't know how they could even allow them. We had to ban them all. <laughs> well, you see, I learned a new trick. I learned. I saw that yeah, video. I learned my first one where the knife is actually flipping in the air and you catch it. So that was fun. Um, that one took a long time to learn, and I still won't do it with a live knife because <laughs> those uh, live that uh, Benchmade 51 will cut you. But uh... oh, I um, uh, let's see. There's a run of blackjack model ones being made right now. Yeah, I saw that 300 of them. Yeah. Yep, that's cool. Yeah. Um, did I did I tell you the story about the muskrat? Yeah, you've told that four times now. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Well, it's interesting. We we've been talking a lot about knife design this last week, and mm -hmm. and um, the uh, uh, you talk about you talk to somebody that uses a knife. As part of the living, uh -huh. and you look at what they would design for a knife, and you would never sell knives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, for the guy that's skinning a a, a a critter out, you know, he would never buy any of the stuff that were that pretty much everybody's making. Yeah, well, and I, and that's the thing. I don't buy a lot of the <clears throat> stuff that people are making. <laughs> For the same reason, it's just not useful for me. Well, yeah, but but most of the stuff that you're making is in the same. I mean, when you talk about t knives that are used for a particular task, and I think that yeah. that's where the difference lies. Is yeah, is yeah. While you could skin out a beaver with your, you know, one of your knives, um, there's a good chance that the hide would get cut. Yeah, there's there's a lot you better know, designs that you can come up with, you right. know, designed to specific tasks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I have some Instagram questions. Okay. So Anthony Scullumbrini, uh everybody knows him from the Gear Geeks Live podcast. Make sure to give a listen mm -hmm. to that. He wants to know about uh, plans for uh, Versteg blades going into production, and he asks specifically about a production imp. And uh, I have uh, talked to some people um, about... Uh, maybe producing those. Uh, it's not the right time right now um, because of something that I'm going to announce a little later in the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I do have plans to do it eventually, um, but there is a fairly significant um, cash outlay. Um, you know, I'm probably going to get yeah, a few more estimates from some people on what... It's expensive. Yeah. It's expensive I mean, cause, to do it, you know, and... Well, it's a it's a it's a two inch blade with a two and a half inch handle, and what what gets you is the is the labor costs on it. I mean, the materials yep. are not. I mean, you can you can make one of those for under ten dollars, right? Uh, materials cost, but then it becomes the labor, and so one of the estimates that I've gotten um, is higher than what I sold them for when I was hand-making them. <laughs> so um, there is that, and I have to kind of think about whether or not I want to <clears throat> I want to do that because it, it's, it's well, pricier one of the, one than, of the things, you know. One of the things that I've always maintained was 
most knife makers sell themselves too cheap. Yeah. I mean, that, that becomes the, I mean, if you actually sit down and you look at how much time you had into each thing, how much you have into the whole schmear, um, I'll guarantee you that it costs you more than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's the yeah. That's if the, if I'm you, charging, you know, people don't consider. If I'm charging for my time, um, I I charged for the price that I sold them at. I charged uh, twenty five dollars an hour for my labor. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, uh, and you know, I didn't. I don't even think like. I don't even think I have that much labor in it. And I, I sold some of them for cheaper than I sold others because of handle materials and stuff. Um, right. But uh, overall, I, you know, because the, the labor part of it to me is that's just fun. So, like, I really yeah. wouldn't even, I don't even consider it labor. Well, I mean, but, if you think about it, if you're, if you're looking at it like from a business aspect, yeah. okay, you have, you have your capital uh, outlay for your machinery. You have all of the, all of your your space that you took up in your building. You yep. have your electric. You have your all of those inputs that go into it. Yeah. That, you know, most people don't even consider um, that that you really should. And and then you add up the time. I mean, you look at guys are selling selling a Bowie knife that they that they spent a month and a half on, and they're selling the Bowie knife for five thousand dollars. And it probably has maybe a hundred to fifty dollars worth of material in it, and they think that they're doing well because they sold a Bowie knife for five thousand dollars. Well, they forgot to say that they've been working on it for a month and a half, and that's the only source of income that they had for a month and a half. And now they got to live on five thousand dollars for a month and a half. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like I don't. It's like trade. It's like they're trading dollars. They're, they're not really making any money. They're just trading dollars. Yeah. And well, the object, it, it, the, but then the other thing is is they're self-employed. They can't lose their job, uh, you know. And there's there's a lot of satisfaction to being self-employed, and I can talk a little bit later about that. But um, oh, of of course there is. There's a yeah. ton of there's a ton of, but you still have to be able to make money at it, right? And yeah, yeah. And 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 here's the here's the deal. I'll tell you, you can be all self-employed all you want. The day that you don't work, you don't make any money. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and so at one some point in time in your life, you're not going to be able to work anymore. So at some point in time during your career, you got to save up enough money to freaking live for the rest of your life when you can't work anymore. Yeah. And that's the that's that part that's totally missing because in you know 15, 20 years from now, we're going to have an ass load of you know 70 year old knife makers that that's what they've done for their whole life is make knives and they haven't saved a dime in the process but they social, haven't made any money yeah they'll have social security <laughs> if they pay no, taxes no on it. no you know, well that's the thing is they never they never made enough money to pay taxes they've never paid social security insurance yeah they're in you, trouble then you you, you watch yeah. you watch uh, <clears throat> it's that's an interesting it's an interesting thing we're we're doing a um I guess I can. Maybe I should ask him. Hang on a second. No, but like, uh, but like I was saying, I you know the thing is is like, and then, um, you you know you get to a point where you're pricing people out of buying a a a small knife, you know, because because if I'm going to lay out 
you know, say for a run of, um, let me just give an estimate here. So if I was going to do a run of 300, um, and I was going to pay what one of my quotes was, I'd have to lay out um, 24000 bucks before mm-hmm. I sell one fucking knife. You know, mm-hmm. and then um, the thing is, it's going to take a while to sell 300 of those things. Mm-hmm. So I've just plunked down $24,000. It might take me a year to do that. Um, and how much more than the quoted price am I actually going to be able to get for these? So that my profits off of that, maybe, if I sell all of them, are 10%. Whereas I could take that twenty four thousand and buy some stocks, uh, and in a year have a lot more profit, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so th- these are the kinds of things, you know. It's like these guys that bought up all this farmland around here. They, they were paying um, thirty thousand dollars an acre for farmland, and they're like, well, you know, I didn't buy it with a loan. I paid cash, and it's like, well, okay, but you just tied up, um, you know, four or five million dollars. In farmland, that that the most you're ever going to make off of that is about you know twelve hundred dollars an acre per year. You know, mm-hmm. you just tied up that three or four million dollars. Nobody's ever going to be able to buy that from you because the farm prices are going to crash and they're already crashing. So you basically just blew all of that money to acquire some land. You cannot get the money back, and it won't make as much money as if you'd put it into something else. You know, so these are the kinds of decisions that that you have to factor. I mean, how much more are people going to pay for a two-inch knife? You know, well, regardless of who makes it. I mean, it. here's a. I mean, I understand it, but there are certain realities to it. I mean, it, it yeah. costs us as much money. There's there's probably just as much money in a little knife there as there is in a a big yeah because of the labor. It, but people don't understand that. You know, marketing wise. Right. Although, you know, the thing is, is every time I've made a knife, it's lasted maybe five minutes before it was sold. Yeah, but you, but you, but it's, look, I mean, here's, here's some realities. You're selling to mostly of your friends or people that are, are on your yeah, people YouTube that are on YouTube. Or, yeah. So they I, know who you are. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing is like the people, the people that, that know me and uh, follow YouTube or listen to the podcast are going to buy it. You know, so yeah. I, I will always be able to sell knives because of the, right. the built-in market for them. But the yeah, you know, yeah, but the, the key is, is we can you sell three hundred of them? Yeah, I think I could easily. Um, but the the problem is, is like, do I want to put twenty four thousand dollars into something that may take me a year to recoup that investment? Um, yeah, well, because maybe the money would be better spent somewhere else. Um, yeah. and then do I want to? Do I want to be a production knife person? Yeah. You know, I well, think I'd rather do gotta, like one-off customs than That's than a, that. that's the thing that everybody has to wrestle with. I mean, you know, you 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 have to figure out first off if you want to be in the knife business. Yeah, I want to be in the that's knife a, that's fun a, that's business. A big, I don't want to be in the knife yeah. earning a living business. <laughs> you know, I I already have yeah. I already have three businesses. I don't well, see. Here's it. here's one of the deals that I've said about the ABS for a long time. The ABS rules for the long and they're starting to change now, lighten up a little bit. For the longest time, were written so that retired people were were pretty much protected. So 
you had to have one of a couple things going on in your life to be an ABS master smith. One of them was you you had to be have the time to to make knives and not be able to sell them for much of anything. Yeah, you had to be uh, you know you have to to quote unquote pay your dues. Well, you know what? Nobody when you're paying your dues, you're having a hard time paying your electric bill. Yeah. Um. So you either had to have another source of income or you had to be retired. Yeah. And and a lot of guys took a lot of uh, a lot of flack for that because they were you know you can't be it's difficult to to go through those motions and not make any money at it. Yeah. Yeah, make a dozen knives and give them away, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to you know make a bunch of knives for testing, and you know if it doesn't have the right look, quote unquote look, that they're looking for, you know you you might not pass. If you were a northern boy, you didn't have to play by the same rules as a southern boy. You know, it's just a little. It was a, a lot of politics and yeah. and um, and the fact that that the the company was not the ABS was not designed for a business for people who wanted to be in business selling knives. You know, it was designed to to sell a certain kind of knife that yeah. meet, met a certain criteria. But it wasn't. I mean, if you had to, if if every knife on the market had to go through that, they'd be everything would be so expensive. You, everything would cost eight thousand dollars, and nobody'd be making a living at it. Yeah. You know, that's one of the one of the the, the funny things about beating hot metal into shape is you have to be pretty well known to be able to make a make a good living yeah make it. a living make a decent yeah. and i i won't even say make a good living make a decent living because yeah. a lot of those guys live at a standard level that you know most people wouldn't want yeah well hey i gotta i gotta take a phone call here uh, i want to take right. a little break five minutes i'll get some uh, coffee yeah a minute or two so be just a all second. right sounds good yep bye yeah, bye. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. Well, I quit my job down at the car wash left my mama a goodbye note. By sundown, I left Kingston with my guitar up under my coat. I hitchhiked all the way down to Memphis, got a room at the YMCA. For the next three weeks, I went to-haunting them nightclubs looking for a place to play. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Okay, we're back. So, uh, for right now, all you people with the uh, numbered, handmade, fine imps, uh, your your investment is safe. <laughs> there, there aren't going to be any more of those. Uh, however, I will say, and I've been keeping this a secret, that I have one left, and it has a Lignum Vitae handle. And the reason I have it left is the guy that was going to buy it before Christmas uh, he said, well, you know, I want to buy my kids some Christmas presents, so can you hold on to them for me? And I'm like, yeah. And so, like, last week I said, hey, are you still interested in this? And he said, yeah. And he said, how do I pay you? So I sent him the information and still no money. So I might give him till like, another couple weeks, and if he doesn't buy it, then I'll sell that one. Maybe I'll put an auction, put it up for auction <laughs> there you go. and see how much it's really worth. 
Um, there you go. You'd be surprised. I mean, you know that. I'm trying to think. A Bark River makes a little one. Oh, the micro Canadian. Like micro Canadian. Yep. Yeah. And I think they get. What do they get out of these? Oh, they do. I don't know. They do pretty well. It's over a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah. Yeah, I you mean, know, people a, people pay for it. It's not, you know, I, I, I know I could sell 300 of those, especially given the press it's gotten, um, yeah. you know, because it definitely is different than anything else on the market. There's nothing like it. There's one that is kind of like it, um, but it came after mine. Um, but there's nothing exactly like mine Who, and it what, fits, what came out what oh what i don't i don't even want to say but there's a knife that <laughs> because somebody might okay. get pissed but there's a knife that came out after mine that's like the mirror like basically the same knife but just a little bigger uh and uh but uh and that comparison has actually been made online so huh. and it wasn't by me in fact somebody sent me a link to it and i'm like oh well, that's interesting, but um, but you know it's not the same, um, and it's you know it's kind of a neat little thing. I know I could sell three hundred of them. It's just do I want to go through the hassle of it? You know, because right. you know by the time like say I say I got somebody else to sell those. Say I talked uh, Derek at Knives Ship Free or DLT or um, Blade HQ into into taking. Uh, you know, some of those taking a 50 each or something. Um, the problem then becomes, uh, there goes all my fucking profit. Right. And my profit margin on that will be less than 10%, less than what, yeah. you know, so it, 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 these are all things that kind of figure into it. And I'm kind of like, well, would I rather take that 24 grand and, and do something else with it? And then, cause I don't, I don't need to be a production knife maker. You know, right. I don't want to be a production knife maker. I want to be a production knife designer. It's a very different thing, <laughs> you know, like, but, uh, so I'll just wait until, till for right now, I'm just waiting until somebody else wants to make it, um, and not just copy it like someone did. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But at least at least they had the decency to make theirs bigger so that mine is still like a tiny little thing that fits in your front pocket. So that was nice of them. Um, but uh, anyway, um, next topic. So that was really? that should that should pretty much answer. And then you'll everybody else will understand why um, later on in the podcast I've got some stuff to tell you. Okay, so another guy says, uh, name your top three hollow-handled knives. You go first. Top three hollow-handled knives. I would have to say the um, the Martin, mm-hmm. one of the Martin knives. Yep. I, I would say the, the Chris Reeve hollow-handled one-piece. Yep. And the, uh, I like a Model 18. Um, isn't that the uh, the Randall? Yeah, the Randall hollow model. handle, whatever model number yeah. it is. Yep, I like I like that because of the history there. Uh-huh. Um, 
that's a that's a good one to you know to work with. Yep. So I'm going to go with about- number one, uh, the Jimmy Lyle uh, Rambo knife, first blood knife, uh, <laughs> by far. Like that's that's far and away, and that's I've talked about this before. That's the knife that I I I could buy that, but I don't want to because I like the idea that I that I want it and I can't have it. You know, I get yeah, more pleasure you, once, out of that than I would from owning it. Once you uh, get one, you're gonna say, oh, okay. It's not that great. I don't know. Somebody will want it more than you after you have one. Well, right. And then so that's the thing is like I I like like I like wanting that knife. So number two would be um, one of the Chris Reeves hollow handled ones, and I actually bought mm-hmm. one of those from our illustrious uh, moderator. So I actually own one of those, and uh, it's, what, it's a good knife. Which one do you have, the Airman? Oh, I can't. I I don't know. It's downstairs somewhere. Um, I put some pictures of it up like a long time ago, um, but I like that a lot. Uh, and then the third choice would be um, one of the Martin hollow handles. They do mm-hmm. an awesome freaking knife. Um, they do a they do one that's like the uh, the Lyle knife that I'd actually mm-hmm. I actually might buy one of those one of these times. Like that one I'll mm-hmm. buy. I kind of want to keep the Lyle one as my Moby Dick. Um, so th- that should answer that. Any, you have anything else to add? Mm-mm. Okay. No, but there is a lot of hollow handle knives that have that are kind of cool. I mean, oh I, yeah. I, These are just the like ones I know a, about. Okay, so there there may be some. Well, there. there's there's a uh, um, well a lot of knife makers made hollow handle knives. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Vaughn Neely did a did a, a big run of them for a long time and. Um, there's just a ton of them that were made, but Uh there was, um, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, case made a hollow handle knife in the, in the forties. Okay. And their knife, their knife had a, um, Oh, I've seen that. uh, That thing was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was a, uh, it was a knife that was, had kind of a match safe on it. And And I think if I didn't go on like, uh, wasn't that the knife that they put on, um, like, uh, life rafts? Yep. Or maybe that was yep. something else. I don't know. No, they had, they, that was a, it was a survival knife that basically had a, a match safe in the, in the handle. I had a compass in the, in the butt. Okay. It was, it was very cool. It was everything that, that all these other knives were later on, except they were, the, the ones that were later on were more bulletproof. But this was a knife that was, you know, very nicely done. I mean, it was it was very cool. Um, and then another one was um, uh, Garcia made a production version of a uh, a knife that I'm trying to think of the guy's name that that designed it. And he made a he made a butterfly looking survival knife. Uh, his last name started with an H, and I cannot think of the name of it now. And uh, that name is going to make me crazy because I'm not going to remember remember his name. Oh, but Garcia made it mm-hmm. um, during the '60s and early '70s, and um, I have a couple of those. Those are very cool, and they have a nice hollow handle. They're not they're not heavy, beefy like like some of the other ones are. They're more uh, more of a lightweight 
style knife. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a lot of chopping with it. And you could probably break it pretty easy. Um, Hackman was the guy's name. Hackman. Okay. And uh, he made a um, he made a survival knife, and he made this hollow handle survival knife uh, during the Vietnam War era. And they were pretty they were pretty popular. Um, uh, he was a Finn, and uh, the the other survival knife that he made was it, like I said, it looks like a looks like a um, a balisong, mm-hmm. but it doesn't act like a balisong. It unfolds like a balisong. Yeah, you yeah. You can't flip it around and do all that other stuff with it. And it does make for a very strong lock, so um, so it's kind of a neat kind of neat piece and, and a, a, a nice piece of uh, hollow handle history that a lot of people don't realize that even exists. Yeah, um, and that's the and that's the part that's what's fun about this about this industry is you know people will look at Martin's Martin knives and say, oh my God, those are the greatest things to slice bread, but they totally missed out on the whole history leading up to them making a knife like that. Yeah, but they are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, yeah. I nice. think they are anyway. They're I nice. love them. Okay, uh, let's see. I got another question from our uh, field correspondent extraordinaire, uh, Scurvy, on Instagram. So um, he he tagged me in a post um, by this guy named Tightco, T-A-E-T. T-C-O, and he had a picture up, and you can Google this, Cybert Knives uh, has a big, huge fixed blade uh, that looks like it would be a good candidate for um, the Rambo knife. So let's see if I can find the name of it. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? So Mm -hmm. it's uh, CybertKnives.com, S-I-B. ERTKnives.com, and if you go to knives and scroll down, there's a knife called the uh, Particle Accelerator. <laughs> this thing is bad ass, bad to the bone. I'm gonna have to put my, uh, I'm gonna have to put that on my list. <laughs> um, knives that you want? Yeah, I'm. Gonna, How do you spell it? How do you spell it? Particle Accelerator by Cybert Knives. S I B-E-R-T, knives. And uh, they want 775 bucks for a premium grade one. But this knife, um, this knife is not, this. there are no features on this knife that I couldn't do with the exception of the fuller. I could even probably execute those teeth. But this, seeing knives like that, um, I, I have designs for stuff that, is just badass, but I can't execute it because I don't have the tools. So one of these times, I am going to um, get a mill so that I can do stuff like that because that is you just freaking awesome. You know what the profile of this knife looks like? What? There was a knife that w- that was in um, uh, Predator. Okay. That one of the guys had looks just like this. Yeah, this looks thing real, is real similar to it. Yeah, but it, but anyway, I, I just wanted people to see that knife. Um, and thanks to Scurvy for uh, now putting that knife on my list. Um, and he also says there's been a lot of drama over at Blade Forums. Of course, I wouldn't know about it because I don't really go there all that often. Um, but he says there's been drama at Blade Forums about hard use um, versus abuse in folding knives. 
And yeah, you know, they can, I, you know what? I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say this out loud. People can hate me for it. I don't give a shit anymore. What most of these guys are, what they're talking about, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're 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 talking about scenarios that never happen, or maybe once in a lifetime might happen to a, one person out of a thousand, out of out of a million. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, there's certain realities to what. Um, what a knife needs to take and what it doesn't. And and you know what? The last time I checked, I don't think there's one documented case of a killer cinder block. <laughs> but those NOS videos running are rapid fun in to the watch, street, though. <laughs> running through the streets. Yeah, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I can't, I cannot believe that these people spend this much time arguing about nothing just it's and it kind of leads into this next uh this next email that i've gotten um where this fella talks about uh the different kinds of locks and why your why your lock back failed and um okay so before we read that next one um i will say that now knife makers themselves like the custom guys that are making these custom folders. I saw a thing on Instagram that made me cringe. He had a piece of mild steel and a vise, and he was using a metal hammer to hammer his his uh, folding knife into this mild steel. And then he took it and sliced a piece of paper with it. Yeah. And that was well, supposed you know, to show like, how tough his knife was or whatever. Well, it's interesting because he's going to be real interesting when he chips off a piece of his knife with his hammer. And it goes into his eyeball. <laughs> well, I just I just wonder how many times you know, he had I, to film that before he got one that didn't <laughs> get chips or get, roll the edge well, or whatever. Listen, my I have a you know I have a family friend of ours that um, was changing a tooth on a on an excavator, and if you don't know, the to- teeth on excavators are very hard. Oh yeah, 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 and and very brittle. And yeah. he was hitting it with a sledgehammer to get it to get the old one off and to put the new one on. And he was banging the new one back into place, and uh, and it chipped, and it went, and a piece went into his eye, lost his eye over it. Shit! And it never never was able to work after that because he was he didn't have the right vision to run an excavator anymore. Hmm. You know the the that the, this next video about the locks is is it or this next email about the locks is real interesting. It's it's. I don't know if you want to read it. Do you want me to read it? I can read it. Yeah, but this is the part that I really like. What's that? This is is like war games. The only way to win the lock game is to not play the game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's brilliant because you got these guys are just knocking each other out about who's who's got the better lock or the best lock. and, And like I said before, the reality of it is if you use a knife properly, you can use a slip joint. Yeah. Well, and... There's nothing preventing you from taking your folding knife and making the appropriate tool to do the job. Exactly. Make a fucking wedge, you idiot. Yeah. Well, and, and, and not, hammer not the only. wedge. I, I, I've done the. I've, I've split a, an entire oak log, huge oak log, um, with with wedges. Yep. And you can make you can make those wedges easily with a folding knife. I've got a. Yep. I've got a video up on. YouTube of doing just that, although I made the wedges um, with a hatchet. Um, well, but the cracks, same thing could be made with uh, 
same thing you could do with a pocket knife. And I've actually yeah, it, done it, you know. Yeah, so. it, it cracks me up because they always think that, you know, bigger is better and, and you know, tougher is always better. And yada, and they have this no – and these guys are, like, sitting behind their little desk in their cubicle making this shit up. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, they're not – they're not my next door neighbor. Yeah, you know, they're not out. They're not out in the woods running chainsaws for. I mean, because those guys don't have fucking time to talk about shit like that. Hmm. You know, they, these are guys that are stuck in their little cubicles and they're worried about. You know, they're living in mom's basement, dad's basement, mom and dad's basement. They're eating out of mom and dad's refrigerator, and and they're you know, and they because that's how they have money to buy a thousand dollar folder and then beat it up. To see how strong the lock is, and then complain that there's that their thousand dollar folder developed a little bit of lock play because they were hammering the hardened steel into the non hardened titanium lock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking yeah. idiot. Well, I, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things that it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I I I know it takes all kinds to make the world go round, but sometimes it gets to the point where you got to go, hey guys, really, this is not what this is not the intended use for this. You know, this is not what this was. You know, if you want to, if you want to fucking split wood, get an axe, get a splitting wall. Or if you don't you have know? an axe and all you have is your folding knife, oh, make look, the what, thing. Listen to me. One, t- there's n- hardly anybody in the world lives someplace where they've got to split a piece of wood. That they don't need, and I don't have an axe in my hand, so, oh, my God, i got to pound my folder. Come on! Give me a break! Yeah, exactly. There's there's no places like that anymore. And, and, and why are you splitting wood in the first place? You can, you yeah. can, you can go some, some, i, I got to wait till the announcement at it's the like, end of it's the like thing, it's, but it's, sometime it's, you and I are going to go out and do a, a video on making a fire without a knife and people will fucking chimp out, but it's so it, this is the way I do it every time. You know, you don't need a knife to make a fire. You just don't, you know, you can, yeah, well, (laughs) bushcraft butter, I like to call that. Yeah. But, but even if you don't have that, you can, you don't need to process your firewood. If you're using stuff bigger than your wrist, you're stupid and you need to die. You know, it's, you shouldn't be able to survive that if you're that stupid, but. And you know, and you know, I have that little wood stove that fits in my tent, my, my little Kifru tent. I have that. I mean, my, my wood stove, your Kifru tent and your Kifru wood stove is pretty good size. I have a, I have an army, um, wood stove for my canvas tent that's about that size, the size of yours. But I have a Kifru one that literally is, freaking, it's not much bigger than a damn two pound coffee can. Yeah, I mean when you when you put it all together, it's very small. I, I mean it's very small, so you have to have some pretty small stuff. And but you know what? You can't put logs in there. You can't start with things bigger than your wrist because you ain't gonna get it in the freaking hole. Well, and people are just stupid. Um, you you what are you gonna go to the effort of splitting a log for when all you need to do is walk up to a tree, like a pine tree? There's there's Plenty of firewood, you know, that that is dry and will burn like fucking crazy right there at the base of that tree. Yep. You know, just break off the dead branches, you know. But or, but you gotta but you gotta remember, it's like it's like they're I don't know. 
It's I, like solving problems that don't exist. I mean, that, I keep falling back to that. Solving problems that don't exist. I mean, they're just making shit up. Because yeah. there's no, you know. Right. Okay. So I think I think we've beat that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this guy's email, and uh, I won't read his name because he, I, he, I didn't ask permission. But anyway, he says, gentlemen, in episode 67, you had a discussion about lockbacks and the triad lock. Kyle also related a story. That's me. About having a lock <laughs> a lockback close on his fingers when delimbing a branch. I think I can offer a better explanation as to why Kyle's lock failed. I believe this will also explain why traditional lockbacks tend to develop vertical blade play and why the triad lock may be a significant improvement. Folding knives uh, can incur three basic kinds of forces, lateral or twisting forces on the blade, strong closing forces on the blade, and strong opening or cutting forces. The issue with the lock bad back design is how it deals with the latter, strong opening forces. The blade has a pivot, uh, form a lever system uh, with a decent amount of mechanical advantage. Under hard cutting forces, such as push cutting through a branch when delimbing, and I was probably abusing it. Um, this lever action. Of course you were. What's that? Of course you were. Yeah, you know, I was a young, <laughs> stupid fucking kid, you know. Like, I shouldn't have been doing it, and I deserve to get cut. This lever action will force the back of the blade's lock inde- uh, indent under the front face of the lock bar like a blunt lever. This will force the lock bar up slightly something that you can easily feel if you place your thumb on the back of the knife as you were making a hard cut. And and when I was making the cut, I didn't have my thumb on the back of the knife. I had it in a power grip. So that would explain why I didn't feel it. Um, this will force the lock bar up slightly. Something you... Okay, so I read that. You will feel the lock bar rise up, up under your thumb. This is not because the lock bar uh, release is being pressed down by the palm of your hand, but rather because the blade is pushing the lock bar up from the front. In my experience, this ten, tends to be less pronounced in new lockbacks. Over time, repeated stress will produce play in the play pivot, the lock bar pivot, and most importantly, in both the blade and the lock bar faces that meet. My conjecture is that Kyle's knife failed in the following manner. At the apex of pressure during his push cut through the branch, the lock bar was pushed high enough that the indents no longer mated, exactly as if his palm was pushing down on the lock uh, bar release. But I suspect this was entirely due to the lever wedge effect of the blade pressing against the front of the lock bar. The rest of the failure was just as Kyle described. When the blade pushed through the branch, it shot like an arrow around the pivot faster than the lock bar could resettle to catch it. Assuming the top, the uh, stop pin on the triad lock stays secure, the triad design would eliminate this failure mode. Strong opening cutting forces drive the blade against the stop pin, but it's impossible for cutting force of the blade to interact with the locking mechanism in such a way. Lastly, tell the folks at Bark River to quit worrying about locks and just put one of the blades into a slip joint frame like a big sod buster. That way, the whole world will understand that it's a folding knife and will know to use it as a folder. This is like war games. The only way to win the lock game is to not play the game. Lastly, Bernie Sanders should be our next president. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so, that was okay. It, yeah. You know, he offers some interesting, uh, um, you know, 
I probably shouldn't have been so hard on the on that whole triad design. I mean, I I um I I'm skeptical all the time about new things. Yeah. You know, about once again solving problems that don't exist. And um and I think it seems to me that I have seen lockbacks with stop pins in them before. But hmm. just maybe not in the same place or hmm. you know, but eliminating the problem of what he was describing. Yeah. But <clears throat> Well, someday I want to own a triad lock knife just, just to have to it. See. Well, just to have it, to have it in the collection as as this yeah. is a, a locking mechanism. You know, because I have Axis, I have traditional lock back, I have frame lock, I have liner lock. I do not have a triad lock, mm-hmm. and I'd kind of like one. Um, of course, the uh, strongest lock on a folding knife, uh, and I'm sorry to break this to all of you, is on a butterfly knife. So, sorry, but it just is. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I probably I think pissed a bunch of people the, off. <laughs> I think the I think the strongest lock on a knife is the one that starts out as not broken. Yeah, well, that's another discussion. <laughs> so Jim is advocating <laughs> for using fixed blades instead of folding knives. I, I I I tease because but I carry a couple folding knives. Actually, I got I've been carrying that teardrop jack around a lot. That little case teardrop jack. Yeah, really that thing like is that awesome. Knife. That's one of my favorite yep. knives. Yep, I really like that knife quite a bit. So Bako Fried asks um, suggestions on breaking my habit of fidgeting with knives. Uh, here's my suggestion: get a Jerry Ham Prodigy trainer. And learn to flip that sucker, and it will cure you of ever messing around <laughs> with any other any other kind of knife. Because once you've played with that prodigy and developed those tricks and stuff, like you will never want to mess around with well, opening <clears throat> your Kershaw you to, or you, whatever again. You have to examine what what is he trying to uh, stop from playing with because he's playing with his knife. I mean, if you're going, if you're switching habits. one addiction to another addiction, I mean, it might have been he's playing with his, you know what is hoo-ha <laughs> all the time. And somebody said, you know what? Quit playing with your hoo-ha. Play with your pocket knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a deep psychological study that I don't think I will get into. But um, Yeah, and vaccinate your kids. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> oh, wait gonna, a minute. I got Jim's, another uh, good one. Jim's going to uh, win us a lot of fans today. I, I, got, a, I got another good one out there for, the, for our public. Okay. And I know, I know this is none of our listeners, but I really wish that um, that if you know anybody like this, you slap them in the head. That's to, I, I, It's an open invitation to all my listeners, all our listeners, that if you see somebody doing this, just walk up to them and slap them in the head. Okay, Jim is Jim is saying that tongue-in-cheek. We do not advocate violence on this program, but go ahead. Okay. If you're in a department store or a grocery store and someone's using the shitter and they come out and they walk right past the sink and they walk into the grocery store with not washing their hands. It's mind-bending to me that it happens, but almost every time that I'm standing there at the urinal taking a leak, somebody will inevitably walk out of the stall and walk right by the sink. And and, I, and it, I'm just like, 
really? Are you kidding me? You just wiped your ass and you don't, <laughs> and you're not going to wash your hands. Well, maybe and now you're going to go out and push the fucking grocery cart around. <laughs> well, okay. So I have a, a funny story. Um, so when I was in college, right? Uh, and you're getting, and you're telling me that you're getting a flu? No, you got fucking E. coli poison. <laughs> right. So uh, I was in, uh, I was in college at the University of Iowa, and I lived in the Stanley dorms on the on Stanley, uh, room 334. So it was a ground floor, but it was a third floor because there were two levels below ground. And uh, they, the, back then they staggered the floors, male floor, female floor, male floor, female floor. And one time uh, uh, my roommate and I uh, were on the way somewhere. We stopped into the bathroom and take a leak. And we heard this massive fart coming <laughs> from the bathroom above us. Oh, the, the, yeah. And it was from the girl's bathroom and it was still to this day, the loudest fart that I've ever heard because the thing is it went through like concrete. This is like a concrete building and it was loud even to us. It was a nuclear yeah. disaster. And so anyway, maybe so, it wasn't a fart. No, it was like, absolutely. It was. Cause like it, it like echoed through the, you could hear it like echoing <laughs> off the bowl and like, and that came That's from funny. the girls' floor, so we we, That's we still laugh about that. Okay, so then another... well, so so that's three three bits of advice. Yeah, wash your hands, get your kids vaccinated, and you probably don't have gluten uh, digestive problems. Oh God. <laughs> okay, we're not going to go there at all. Okay, so the next thing, um, there's this character. Uh, Schlock Nessie, and he wants to know what our favorite uh, Swiss Army knife models are. You go first. You can choose three. Um, Spartan, Soldier, and Farmer. Okay. Um, I think those are three legitimate pocket uh, Swiss Army knives that are... Oh, I like an Alox Farmer. I, I, yeah, so you I've like um, the Farmer is the Alox mm-hmm. one. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Spartan, Farmer... Uh, Huntsman. Huntsman has the saw on it, and that Huntsman is an awesome little little pocket knife. You can do whatever it is you need to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that answers that. Let's see. The next one, uh, WBC85 asks, uh, how to look after large knife collections. Um, mm. Sometimes they seem to pick up a little rust spot, even when clean before storing. Yeah. I, I tell you, wax. Renaissance wax. Or keep a good oil on it all the time. I mean, that's the... That is the bane of uh, a nice collector's existence. Mm-hmm. Is, a, is a little spot of rust. Yep. You know, and it's... Uh, I would say keep your... Fi- you know, make sure you wipe your fingerprints off. Your... your must be your, your... Your skin oil has... It must be very... I, uh, um, I don't know. Very basic or, or caustic or something because, you know, you can touch a, a blued rifle and leave a fingerprint on it. And, I mean, literally, well, okay. There'll be a rust ca- spot on it like a couple years later in, in you your take, fingerprint. <laughs> in your fingerprint. Seriously, if you, I had a, uh, I had an old marbles knife that I found at a yard sale and we cleaned it all up and, and um, uh, did what, what you're not supposed to do, which is basically, you know, run it on a buffer and clean it up and, and uh, I, 
put it, my finger on it. it. Didn't have a sheet, so I wasn't going to carry it. I just wanted to put it in in my case, and um, I must have inadvertently touched it. And a couple weeks later, I was looking at it and I was like, "Holy crap! There's a freaking rust mark!" And it was it was my thumbprint on the on the blade. So yeah, you have to you have to keep them well oiled. Yeah, and in a dry place, make sure that there's no there's not a lot of moisture in your. Never store them in your sheets. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Big deal. Yeah, that's a real big. deal. And that's that's one of the things when I uh, whenever I send out a knife, um, uh, I didn't for the imps, but for all the other ones that I sent out, I always include a little instructions thing that kind of tells them about the knife and why I designed it this way and why I chose these materials. But then I I put in knife care and I say not yeah. to store it in the sheath. Yeah, um, and, I, and I'm not sure Kydex is a big issue, but the but especially uh, uh, leather. Uh, for some reason, leather is not the place that you want to keep a knife in. Right. Well, and for for long periods for long of time. periods of time. So the other the other tip that I would have is do with your knives what I do with my axes once a quarter, so four times a year. Just take them out, inspect them, rub a little oil on them, and put them back. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that was, that's what I would say. Now, um, Scruffick writes, so the, the, I got to give some backstory. The, the, the knife that I, I always, on Instagram, I'll put up a picture of a knife and then say, we're going to record, um, what questions do you have? So the knife I put up is a, a Mora classic original one because I like to goof on Mora's. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, you can't deny that Mora's laminated blades are pretty respectable. And so the, 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 um, well, I can't deny that they're they're decent knives, but that so that the classic original one is a laminated one of their laminated blades. That particular one, um, I uh, I brought to the Amazon jungle um, just to see you know if it was going to be something usable. Uh, I, I always every time I go somewhere, I bring a bunch of stuff to test to see what works and what doesn't, and that's that's kind of how. A lot of times I'll know whether something's going to work or not because I've actually taken it and seen where it fails and what the less than optimal um, characteristics of it are. But that particular Mora, I uh, batoned through um, lengthwise through a, a piece of um, green jungle wood. Who the fuck knows what kind it was? But you know, this is this is like the tasks that um, people are using their Moras for, and it bent. It like bent. So I should, what I should do is I should take a follow up picture of it and show like it's bent off at like an angle just from now just from batoning a, it. Now it's a crooked knife. Yeah. So I could use it as a spoon gouge now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then he says, any chance on some details on the demise of Hamilton and your plans to make the most of him? Okay, so uh, if people don't know who Hamilton is. Um, Hamilton was a Berkshire hog that I contracted with a local farmer to raise. And, uh, you know, I wanted him like treated well and, um, you know, let to like root around and do pig shit, you know, like what pigs like to do and lead like a good, happy pig life. And so, and he just happened to be a Berkshire hog, which is like, like there's a real difference between breeds of pig and the taste of the meat. And Berkshire is one of the tastiest. I do have to say it is different. I can tell a difference, big difference. Okay, so um, I had him butchered, and I have I've been eating meat from him for quite a while now. But I have uh, his entire pork belly. Uh, so what 
Um, so with this pork belly, um, it, you split it in two, and then that's how you get your bacon, right? And so I have two pork bellies now um, that are curing, uh, and I do a dry cure of it, uh, meaning I put the cure on, and then I let it sit. I don't brine it. I don't do anything. And then later you wash it off and you smoke it or you bring it to temperature in the oven. So one of them is just my typical dry cure. And the other one I'm doing uh, with uh, half a cup of maple syrup that you made from your trees up there. Nice. So, yeah. It's about so, that time of year again. Yeah, I know. Well, I think uh, you will you admit now that you were a little bit premature about a month ago when you said that spring was coming? No. No, no, I said it's it's coming. What's the temperature it's, there today? It's still coming. Oh, well, you right know now. it's going to come eventually. <laughs> um, we we did uh, uh, the March 18th was when we tapped trees. Um, we didn't tap trees last year, but the year before we tapped trees, it was March 18th. Okay. Uh, the temperature right now here is five degrees, and it's sunny. It's beautiful outside. It's gorgeous. Well, it was negative four here this morning. <clears throat> Yeah, we so had a negative a 25 off. this morning. <laughs> yeah, well, we're a ways off. But hey, it's global warming, baby. Okay, then the last question I got was from Iron City 313 and he asks uh, if we'd talk about fishing and fillet knives a little bit. So I, I have some experience actually making a fillet knife and some of the problems that you run into. Um, I, when I was making mine, uh, I, I used kind of that traditional shape you know like the rapala where the tip curves up mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i wanted it out of a real thin steel because it and then a very not a very tall blade so that you can mm -hmm. curve and do things and mm -hmm. so i designed a knife based on um you know my experience with fishing knives and gutting fish and believe me i've got a thousands and thousands and thousands of fish because um, mm -hmm. I used to that used to be my job when we'd go to on fishing trips and stuff but uh, so I made it out of real thin steel and um, they were perfect right I made five of them and when they came back from heat treat one of them was straight and <laughs> the rest of them I couldn't uh, I could, could not straighten them no matter crooked what. knives Right, but but the the trick is that you want it to be you want it to be bendable and flexible, and so I I had it done like a certain way, and I you know I did I treated the the steel a certain way and and all this stuff, and one of them was straight, <laughs> so it's problematic <laughs> as a knife yeah. maker to to make those out of real thin steel. If I was going to do it again, I would start out with thicker steel, and then just thin it down after yeah. it was heat treated. Well, I've always been intrigued by, um, I've always been intrigued by fillet, fillet knives because when you talk to fish, and I'm not a fisherman, so I, if I'm involved in something, I want to talk to the people that are actually using the stuff so that so whatever it is that's going on, it actually gets to work. Uh -huh. Well, the uh, what cracked me up was the fact that uh, you talk to fishermen about fillet knives, and if you talk to like six different fishermen from around the country, you'll get six different fillet knife ideas, what they should be. Well, and especially if, <laughs> if one of them is a lake guy and one of them is an ocean oh, yeah. guy. Because yep. ocean and, fish and, are a different can of worms altogether. Well, listen, well, listen. even the, even the, um, 
guys that fish in the rivers and guys that fish in the big lake yeah. are two different knives, two different kinds of knives. If you look at Webster Marble did a knife, uh, a fillet knife, and I don't know, it's pretty. they're pretty valuable if you can find them, but it looks like a half moon. The knife literally looks like a half moon. I mean, and that was like their... That, yeah, yeah, that was what their fish knife was, but it had a handle on the side of it. Yeah. So, so it's interesting that, you know, and I've always thought about what, you know, that was a knife that, that didn't sell real well back then. And I, who knows why it didn't? It was, it was a specialty fish knife. And, uh, and if you show it to everybody, they look at fishermen, they look at it and go, well, that's not a fish knife. That's something else. Unless you know? they're from Alaska. Well, and it yeah. makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if they actually used a knife like that to try and, and, skin or uh, try to uh, fillet a fish if it would actually work you know how it would how it would work or if it would work at all i mean it's not a long knife it's not at all what you think of as a fillet knife it's a half moon that looks you know it's maybe four maybe three or four inches in a it's like a three or four inch diameter circle yeah but it's like half of it you know obviously but um like like a half moon Mm -hmm. you know it's just a weird shaped knife and and so I think, like I said, you you talk to different people in different parts of the country, and you'll get different ideas of what a fillet knife. I mean, you get anything that looks like from looks like a mora knife all the way to freaking butcher knives, big butcher knives. Uh-huh. I mean, you go to you go on those guys at uh, out in Washington, and they have to run those big fish markets in Washington. Uh-huh. Shit, they're using they're using freaking butcher knives to get to get the meat off of fish. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it, it just depends on just depends on where you are. Um, and, it, it, these are the kinds of knives that I grew up using. Yeah, um, and I know I know the ones that Mike did were were not extremely flexible, um, but the guys that have them that that use them as what they were designed to use like them, mm-hmm. but they're not near as flexible as as the knife that you were making. Yep. And I know I know a lot of guys are all worried about it being a knife that can float. You know, oh, gotta have something that floats. <laughs> no, that's BS. You you don't clean your fish on the boat. You clean them in the little shack. At least we always did. You clean them once you get to shore. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with a dead fish meat on your boat all day, sitting in the sun? No, you you put it in your cooler. You put it in your. Um, uh, but then it's gonna cooler. make your beer stink. What's that? What's that cooler that? Uh, oh, the Yeti. Yeah, the Yeti cooler. You put it in your Yeti cooler. There you go. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, check out the check out the Bark River one. Um, if you don't want to spend a lot of money, um, check out the Rapala knives. Those are really good uh, fillet knives. I I mean they may not stay sharp forever, um, but they're decent. I actually have a I actually have a Gerber. Um, I got it at like a Whitetails Unlimited dinner or something. Uh-huh. Um, and I use it, you know, I use it more for uh, trimming silver skin. Uh-huh. Off chunks of meat. Yep. Because I don't fish. So, Although I'm thinking I should start, I mean, we have such beautiful trout streams up here, I should start, you know, it's one of the, one of the ways to get out into the outdoors is to get back where nobody is is to to fly fish, and I think that would be something that would be kind of fun to do. Yeah, the, you've got a lot of fly fishing streams up there. I I've uh, come across them just trekking around a little bit up by where Mike lives. Yeah, some awesome yep. fly fishing streams. 
Yep, exactly. And it's a big there's a big deal up here. A lot of people come up here from all over the place to go fishing. Yep, and that's where a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Hemingway's uh, Nick Adams short stories yep. are up there going fly yep. fishing up up by where you guys live. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So uh, yeah, every 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 old bar in town has a uh, spot where Ernest Hemingway used to sit. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he was in bars a lot. I hear. Yep. Hardcore drinker. So I've told the story before on the podcast of how I uh, had this awesome bussy badger um, mm-hmm. that I liked a lot, and uh, I had a sheath made for it by Armor All Leather, uh, Dwayne Keith Puckett, and it was just, like, awesome. Uh, and I, at some point when I was moving, uh, it got packed somewhere, and apparently that box didn't get unpacked. Um, so I know I still have it. I just don't know where it is. Well, I went on the Bussy website today and they've got a new knife, the son of Badger, <laughs> which is, which is like the, uh, I think it's got a little bit thinner blade. It looks like, it looks like they're, yeah, so they have a flat saber grind on it. Um, one of the main differences I see between this and the original Badger is that the top of the handle is flat across on the son of the Badger, whereas on the Badger that I had, it, it had a, you know, like the dorsal hump and a lot of those mm-hmm. features that I like. So check that out. Um, and then, of course, the Team Gemini LB Light Brigade is still for sale, which is Daryl's knife. Um I'm, did you did you find your badger or no? No, I haven't yet. It's it's in a box somewhere. It's got to be, you know, because hmm. I know I didn't leave it anywhere. I never lose knives. Um, although I did lose one. Uh, I've actually I actually I take that back. I've lost two knives in my life. I lost that one Gerber walking through the woods, and then one time I was at a mall, and I had a Spiderco uh, in my pocket, one of the steel ones that didn't mm-hmm. have a pocket clip and I I must have sat down or something and the thing worked its way out of my pocket and I went back after I figured I didn't have my knife and it was gone so somebody picked it up and walked off with it but so I've actually lost two knives but anyway so I know I didn't lose the badger I know it's around it's in a sheath I mean how can you lose it you know but uh I don't know so when are they going to put uh Walking Dead on Netflix. When does hmm. the, when does the current season finish up? I guess I, would be a better question. Uh, you know what? We're we just started the, the I think we're two episodes into the next uh, the next season because I'm current on that. Oh, so is it season was six it? already? Yeah. What season did you just finish? Five four or four? I I, I finished when they were in the train car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got a whole nother season yet to go. I'm on season six. Yeah, so I'm just waiting for them to come out with. I uh, think I'm on season six. Come out on Netflix, and then we'll watch it. So lately, oh God. we watched uh, we watched all of the that series, The Vikings. Uh, oh yeah, we watched. I just I just got started doing that. Yeah, that's good, huh? Lots, yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, killing. yeah. You know, it, well my my wife likes it. Mine does too. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe I should be worried. No, my my wife loves that series. Yeah, there's something for everybody just, in that. I just don't want her to axe me. 
Yeah. <laughs> or uh, wait till you see. You know, it's not like it's not like you watch Walking Dead and she says it's it's not about the zombies. It's about something else. Yeah. It's like okay, well, yeah, but the zombies are kind of cool. You know, the all of the stabbing in the forehead zombies and stuff. Yeah. But um, but this is. I mean, I was talking to another friend of mine who is a who's a, kind of a quasi historian. Uh-huh. I mean, he loves history of all kinds. He's been to Sweden and he's been to England. And he's been to Scotland and and uh, he's done he's done some project involving Viking stuff. And we were talking about that, and he said, you know, he says, from my understanding, that show is pretty historically accurate. Yeah, they've done a lot of he research the, on it. Yeah, he yeah. said the um, he said you know the the characters obviously are not based on any one person, but just the way their society works. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, I was pretty intrigued with a, with a, an organization that was so brutal. Brutal, but effective. (laughs) But, but they had, but they had rules. Yeah. That, that, you know, that they're, that they're, uh, that their people had to adhere by. Uh And so I was, I was pretty intrigued by that. Yep. You know, the whole sun compass thing, you know, nobody knows where that came from. Yeah. How they how you know, they got so the I, longitude, how they knew how to yeah, do well, longitude and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yep. Well, I think your wife is really going to like it. Um, you know, uh, Ragnar's wife? Yep. Yeah, she kills someone eventually, and I think your wife will Ooh. like that. Um, Ooh. But uh Yeah, we're we're on the we're on the uh we're in the episode where they just did all the the sacrificial killings. Oh yeah, were they going to kill pr- the priest or whatever? Yeah, yep, yep. That was yeah. pretty brutal. I, I got to tell you, that was pretty brutal. Yeah. And for that guy to 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 get bled out like that, and to choose to do that on purpose, it's like, well, you know, I mean, how how much do you value your, you know, how much do you really believe that you're going to go to heaven, and it's going to be such a great thing that you're going to let somebody cut your throat. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild. Yeah, you wouldn't see me doing that. Um, and then and then to let people hang it up upside down, leave it, them hang upside down like that. Yeah, like like a butchered animal or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah, Chance uh, asked me a question. He called me the other day. He said uh, we should talk. You know how on Facebook every once in a while you'll see like a thing that comes up like the seven successful habits of uh, or seven highly seven habits of highly successful people or you know you see all these habits and things and uh, he he wondered if you have any um, any bits of advice for folks uh, to be happy and successful in their life. Um, start your day off. At 5 a.m. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, that's uh, if there's one thing I think is is important is to um, make the most of your day by starting it when the day starts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and go to sleep before 11. Go to bed at a reasonable hour. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And get, get plenty and try of to sleep. Get, try to get, yep, try to get good sleep. Um, eat right. Mm-hmm. You know, try not to eat junk food. Try to eat things that stimulate your brain. Um, 
identify your shortcomings. Yeah. You know, and, and at least be conscious of them. You know, I think that that's, people do not realize their limitations. And, uh, and then they set themselves up for failure because they don't, they realize they can't, they, they realize they can't do something while they're in the process of trying to do it. Yeah. You know, um, Well, you know, realize if you can't if you can't bench press, you know, 250 pounds, then you probably ought to not try to, you know, hold 250 pounds over your head as a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I can't say I disagree with any of those. It's all pretty much stuff that I do, except for the um, assessing your faults thing. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I don't like to dwell well, on the negative shit about myself. I like to have a positive <clears throat> attitude. No, and, and I'm not, I'm not it's not that like I don't that. have faults. I definitely have faults and and uh, <laughs> and things. It's just I would add a caveat to that and just say, don't beat yourself up. No, um, I guess what I'm saying is that just know how know what your shortcomings are and then and then plan your stuff accordingly. Yeah, agreed. You know, if you know if you know that you're not a good if you know you're not a good businessman and you're an artist. Well, you know what? Maybe you ought to hook up with somebody that's a good business person, that has a good business sense, yeah. that can that can help you with making those kinds of decisions. Yeah. If you know that you're a very poor writer, um, like you have very poor handwriting, you probably shouldn't be writing hand handwritten notes. You probably <laughs> ought to be typing your notes down, yeah, you know, using a voice recorder or something like that. You know, I mean, little things like that are are what what. When I'm talking about shortcomings, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that you know about yourself that there is a workaround for it. You know, don't just fall, to succumb to the fact that I'm a poor businessman, I'm a great artist, and that will carry me through. Yeah. You know, because chances are you'll be worrying about your electric bill. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you want to take a little break and then get to a, a oh, yeah. uh, historic yeah. announcement? Yep, yep, yep. So that's like yep. a good hour and a half of uh, knife-related content. I you thought got it was pretty it. good. Okay, yep, so I'm going to go awesome. get a pop because I'm going to need a pop yep. for this. All right. All right. Be right back. Is that uh, the hat that you have on? Is that a um, a chrome cap? Yeah, Stormy Cromer. It is a Stormy Cromer. Yeah, I have a. So Jim's looking at my uh, Stormy Cromer Mackinac pattern. So it's got the. It's like the plaid that you'd get on a like a Mackinac. Yeah, I don't know. Like mine is mine is one too. I'm wearing a Stormy. Oh yeah. Mine is yeah. Mine is uh, the the oiled canvas. Okay. But it doesn't, I, for some reason, yours looks different than mine. Yours looks like one that I got my dad a couple years ago that was called a, um, uh, 
it wasn't a Stormy Cromer, but it was that same style hat, but it was a chrome cap. Chrome cap, I think. Okay. Or crown cap, crown cap, I'm sorry. Yeah, this one probably looks a little different because it's a little bit bigger than a lot of Stormy Cromers. Like, I have a shit pot of these things, but it's, uh, lately I've been buying them bigger um, because I know exactly what my hat size is because I've got, like, um, I'll show Jim, I've got, like, real hats, you know, like, I've got buttons and I've got, this is a hat that's a beaver hat, um, uh, from you see the, the look of that yeah that is uh, the same Indiana Jones hat no it's from <laughs> uh, it's a it's a cowboy hat but it's it's a it's patterned after the one that they that he wore in good bad uh-huh. yeah okay so um, so I, I know exactly what my hat size is but the stormy chromers come a little small and I like um, I like this kind of a hat to be a little bit looser on my head, you know, because I, I just do. Um, so I bought this one. It's a little bit too big for me, um, but I like it. Uh, anyway, you, you'll laugh. Um, my wife just got done uh, at the gym. I'm going to uh-huh. go there after I record this. Um, but she was taking a shower, didn't know we were podcasting, and she said she came about three seconds away from walking by the door naked. <laughs> oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, and the, my... Uh, Tell not to worry about that stuff next time. Yeah, my webcam was like <laughs> pointing at the door. And she, when I went down to get my pop, she told me that. Um, that's funny. The other thing I saw when I went down there is uh, some fennel sitting on the table. Ooh, which means ooh. we're getting... Uh, I'm going to make uh, Mike Stewart's sausage and peppers tonight with fennel. Nice, nice. Yeah, because uh, actually the the podcast listeners will know something before my kids do. So I'm making yeah. them spaghetti and uh, and some stuff like that, and then I'm having my uh, sausage with fennel, Mike Stewart mm-hmm. recipe. So this is a bit of a historic announcement. And uh, the reason it's it's historic, and I'm probably making too much out of it, but I think people have done what I'm going to do by email. They've done it in person, they've done it on the phone, and they've done it in text. But as far as I know, this is the first time that anybody's ever made this sort of a thing on a podcast. So, <laughs> I, so here we go. Right. So... Uh, I'll, I'll give a little backstory. So everybody knows uh, Jim and I are friends, and we've been friends for years. And I go up there and visit him, and uh, you know, uh, I don't I don't go to Iowa because there's not a fucking thing to do. Right, there. and I, I discourage people from ever visiting me in Iowa because literally there's nothing to do up there. So um, so I go up there. I go up where uh, I go up to Bark River you know, to the grind-ins and stuff. And uh, I've I've gotten uh, pretty fond of northern Michigan. Uh, you know, especially around where Jim lives. Um, where I'd say where you live, it, it's almost like a resort. Yeah. You know, and, and one, of the, one of the really nice things about it is uh, there's more land than you can possibly ever explore in your life. 
that's public land. Like a third of the Upper Peninsula is is like is like that. And then up by you, there's state and and national forest. I mean, there's just all kinds of wooded land, and you're you're at the southern edge of boreal forest. So up yep. by you, and up certainly up in the UP, you find things like uh, uh, tinder fungus, and so it's it's really good woods up there. Yep. Number one. Number two. It's it's built for bushcrafting. Well, and just for monkey business <laughs> is the way I would put it. Um, number two, there's excellent hunting up there. You can do bear, which I I don't really have any interest in, but uh, certainly deer um, and lots of other things you can do. And there are actually elk in Michigan now. Yep. Um, well, there's been there's been elk for a long time. It's just you couldn't hunt them. Yeah, they're the eastern elk or whatever. But yep. apparently, yep. you can get in a lottery to actually hunt elk in Michigan. So yep. there's yep. hunting. Up by Jim, there's uh, skiing. Like really, I mean, it's not like Colorado or Utah or Jackson Hole or well, something. Well, you know like what? This, a lot of people it's still don't, good skiing. A lot of people don't know, don't realize this, but the freaking ski jumping team practices. Their their practice camp is up here. Yeah, that's this is where they practice. Is they they have a a, a place uh, Iron Mountain has a big ski jump up there. Yeah, and it's a humongous wooden that wooden platform thing that you. You ski jump off of. I mean, it's amazing how tall it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people don't realize that we have that kind of stuff up here. I mean, you and plus we have world-class fishing. We have world-class snowmobiling. We have world-class hiking. We have a, we have a huge um, – we probably have – I don't even know how many miles of hiking trails we have that go all the way to Isle Royale. I mean, you could literally yeah. go from probably someplace in southern Michigan all the way to Isle Royale. And so, so you've got you've got that you've got skiing you've got obviously more hiking than you can ever do. There's snowshoeing, there's snowmobiling, uh, there's winter sports, there's summer sports, and you're surrounded by lakes. Um, some of them are even Great Lakes, you know. So you can go from where where Jim lives down to Wait, Chicago. This and is boat. Michigan. They're all fucking Great Lakes. Right. None well, of this Vermont Great Lakes shit. <laughs> right. Well, and so so here's the thing. It's like it's basically a woodsman's paradise up there and it, and even on top of that, like there's culture stuff to do up there. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh you've got the in in uh, Traverse City, which is about an hour and a half south of Jim, you've got Traverse City Film Festival. Um there's all kinds of little breweries, there's uh there's there's intellectual stuff going on up there. You know, there's it's an intellectually stimulating place to live, mm-hmm. right? You know, they say they say that the the whole microbrewery movement actually started in Michigan. Well, did you did you know well that? I mean, we have like more microbrews than any other state in the union. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> so you got all these things up there that that I enjoy, and. Uh, Certainly, Jim Jim likes it, and you know I I've said on, before on the podcast I grew up in the woods, and the one of the things in Iowa is that because of the ethanol subsidy and uh, and these sorts of things, the price of corn went way way up, which is good for the farmers because then they get you know ten dollars a bushel for corn. Because the government is feeding them uh, money to turn corn into ethanol, 
right? So because of the ethanol subsidy, now if you have a half an acre of like scrub woods or whatever, you're going to tear it down and plant corn there. And so from the time I was a kid to now, most of the woods are gone in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And the the amount of ground that I have available to do stuff, fun stuff in the woods is like, it's minuscule, you know, and then, you know, we just don't, we don't have things like microbreweries. Um, there is a lake, it's Lake Okaboji, but to have a house up there is like, if you're on water, it's millions and millions and millions of dollars, not one million, millions, you know, so it's, it's, you, you can do the lake thing, but since there's really only, there's, there's uh, Okaboji, there's uh, Clear Lake, and there's like, you know, some other small lakes scattered around here. But like, uh, really, if you want to do like the lake boating thing, or you know, if you enjoy that sort of thing, you're you're gonna pay through the nose for it in Iowa, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just because of the way it's just geography, um, and also the ethanol subsidy. So a while ago, uh, Jim was saying, you ought to move up here. And and so is Mike and all these people. And I'm like, well, I can't because I've got an established practice in Iowa and I have, it's like, you know, lucrative and I do well. And like, um, there's already plastic surgeons there. Like you've already got plastic surgeons and, and for me to start over up there would be next to impossible. And so Jim sent uh, did you call the guy or what did you do? Yeah, I what I had done was I called the uh, head of uh, HR at the our local hospital. Right. And um, then he he made some phone calls. Right. And so, oh, a um, little less than a year ago, uh, a plastic surgeon from Traverse City called me out of the blue. And I was out in my shop grinding actually one of the Versteg Bowies. And he said, uh, oh, I'm not interrupting you, am I? And I didn't know who it was. I figured it was a doctor at a at a local hospital trying to transfer a patient to me or get me to sew somebody up or something. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just out in my shop. He's like, oh, you have a shop? And I'm like, yeah, I'm uh, out here working in my shop. He's like, well, what, what are you working on? And, you know, like being a knife nut, you're kind of careful about telling people that you have a knife shop and you're like grinding knives sometimes, if especially if you don't know them. And I said, well, I'm out grinding a knife. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And so it turns out he was he's a huge outdoorsman. He's got one of the biggest elk ever shot in America hanging in his like living room that he shot with a bow. And so he was real interested in stuff. And I talked to him for a bit, and then he said, well, I want you to come up here and, like, check out Traverse City and interview. I'm like, well, um, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll come up, um, but I'm not making any promises, you know, because I've got a, an established practice. He's like, yeah, yeah, I understand. So I went up there uh, and went to Traverse City and was, like, blown away, like, at how freaking awesome Traverse City was and, like, it's exactly like where Jim lives. There's tons and tons of lakes. You're on Lake Michigan. Uh, lots of culture. Lots of awesome restaurants that are every bit as good as any of the restaurants I've eaten at anywhere in the world. New York. Yeah, and that's, um, and I'll tell you what, San that is Francisco, true. We have, L.A. Uh, 
Yep. Uh, Manila, you know, Lima, you know, big, huge places that are known for food. The food in Traverse City and up by where Jim lives is every bit as good. Uh, and I'm picky. So, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. And I went back home. And uh, a few months later, they called again and said, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I think it's great. And they said, well, come back up again um, and bring your wife. And so I brought Gretchen up, and uh, she loved it. And uh, they're like, well, um, what would it take to get you to move up here? And I said, well, make me an offer. And waited a while, waited a while. They made an offer, and uh, it was crazy money and crazy, like, benefits, and, like, it was just awesome. And so the announcement is... In May, I'm moving to Traverse City, Michigan, and joining a group of plastic surgeons there. <laughs> right. So, uh, so nobody has. So I'm self-employed. Uh, I actually, I employ myself as a plastic surgeon. I, um, I also have other business stuff. Um, of course, the YouTube channel makes a little bit of money, but that that's all done through corporation. Uh, legit above board and so is my knife business all of that goes through my corporation so I actually have three jobs but I'm quitting one of my jobs on a podcast today and I don't know if that's ever been done uh no that's something I've never heard of before I think it's freaking awesome so I'm gonna tell my boss I fucking quit take this job and shove it I quit my job over funny. a podcast. That's awesome. So sometime in May, That's awesome. I'll be uh, relocating to Michigan. I will always be an average Iowa guy, but I will live in a woodsman and outdoorsman's paradise. Um, my girls are going to learn to ski next winter. Of course, I already know how to ski very well. Um, but my wife and my daughters are going to, I'm going to set them up skiing lessons. I'm going to buy a Jeep Rubicon. Uh, cause I'm going to have to, cause I, I don't think that Ford focus is going to cut it in the winter. I'm getting a house. Well, I'm looking, we're looking. Um, my goal is to get a house on woods in woods out in the country. And there's plenty of them around. I just haven't found the perfect one yet, but we're coming back up there. Uh, first part of April after PWIP. 
yeah to look again yeah you have to it's it just to find the right place is is important the finding a place in the woods is easy finding the right place in the woods yeah. is, is well, can be a little more difficult and but. the last time we were up there i did see a couple candidates um but there was just something not quite not quite right so we're gonna look again uh and if i have to you know, camp in the uh, state park up there for the first month or so of my practice because we don't have a house yet and they have to stay in this one, that's fine. Or live in a, actually, what well, probably what had happened is I'd just live in a hotel for a month or two, um, which is no big deal. But we're moving and it's official and the podcast knows about it before the rest of the world does, before my kids do. So if you hear this before I have a chance to announce it on Facebook, um, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so don't like comment about something and say, oh, congrats on your move or whatever, because uh, nobody else knows yet. Um, so here's the other thing. I, I very carefully chose my time to announce, right? Uh, because... You, I have to like give my patients notice, and a lot of my patients that I have kind of chronic ongoing, uh, like um, breast reconstruction patients, that's more of a process than it is you have like one surgery or whatever. Like you're, right. you, they're they're in your practice for a couple of years, so all yeah. of them I've I've told already, and have, and and I've told them like, look, I'm leaving, and I've found them another plastic surgeon, but you wanna you wanna give a couple months where you kind of wind down. And and uh, just make sure that nobody has any problems, and so that's what I'll be doing um, for the next couple months. But I kind of had to strategically announce that because it's going to be like a bomb going off, because we're fifth generation yeah. versed eggs living, you know, here, and uh, I don't know. So are you gonna are you going to um, uh, are you gonna have to do you have people that are getting expanders right now? Uh, I have no. I I have people that that um. I I have people that have expanders. Um, and I'm I'm going to be here long enough to get them expanded. Someone else may have to put the implants in. I also have people that I've done like uh, uh, tissue-based reconstructions on, like tram flaps and things that will need another stage later on. And I've already let them know, mm-hmm. and I'm already um already finding i've already found them like good follow-up care so it's not a i mean i've done the right thing by that but um the other thing is you don't want to announce too early because then people will stop like sending you business you know because i can still do like somebody comes in with skin cancer i can get that that's a one day thing you know i can cut it out and, and reconstruct it in one day no problem you know so i can keep doing that kind of stuff but a lot of the a lot of the stuff that involves like ongoing care, um, I have to transition out of that. And then the other thing is, is that uh, you know some some people are not going to be happy. Uh, you know, of course, I told all my business partners, and well, I don't, you know, kind of I use that term loosely, but I I told all my partners a long time ago. Um, that I was probably going to move, and I've been helping them find alternate arrangements. So that's all taken care of. But um, I signed all the letters to hospitals today, and they're going in the mail tomorrow. And then uh, at 4.30 p.m. on a Friday, I'm going to announce it on uh, Facebook. 
and nice. watch people chimp and out. And then you're leaving town. Yep, and then I'm leaving town, turning my phone off, and and not going to be on the internet at all, because some people are going to chimp out. Um, but, you know, that's a, their problem. i got to live my own life. good does all the money in the world do you if you can't spend it on what you want right you know i can't live the kind of life that i want to live here anymore and you can thank the ethanol subsidy for that and various other kind of changes that have kind of happened um just kind of a you know but whatever it's going to be an awesome move gretchen's real excited i'm sure the kids will be excited too especially when i show them pictures and stuff but, oh yeah uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited just to have them around yeah it's going to be fun i think it'll i think it'll be a lot of fun so the you can look forward to the average iowa guy channel um featuring a lot more of jim <laughs> and uh <laughs> lately i've had a a harder time doing um woods-based videos because they're like i said the woods are all freaking gone and so You'll see a lot more of that. Uh, but I'm going to be busy for the next couple months, um, moving and getting everything. My Michigan license came through actually yesterday. And oh, nice. I have to get privileges at the hospital and stuff. But uh, I've got a bunch of, I mean, we're packing. Um, packed up my office yesterday, or most of it. Uh, you know, and then... It, so I'm going to be busy, and that's one of the main reasons why there's not going to be a production imp, uh, at least in the next few months. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So just keep that's it under awesome. your hat we're, we're until 4.30 p.m. Friday, February 27th. All right. But well, we're, we're excited to have you as neighbors. It's going to be awesome. We're gonna have, we'll have a lot of fun. Be a lot of there'll be a lot more cooking videos. Yeah, and monkey business. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and it's going to be easier for us to do things like uh, um, PWIP uh, and glib and stuff like that because uh, we'll yeah, be hosting. Yeah. Speaking it. of speaking of which, I spoke with uh, Terrell Hoffman the uh-huh. other day about PWIP, and uh, he said, uh, you know, have at it. You want to do PWIP up there? Have at it. And so I think that uh, in 2016, we're going to start planning on doing it up here. 
Okay, so now the next thing I got to ask you about um, PWIP is when are you going to show up in Asheville? I think Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, so I'll buy yeah. I'll buy a ticket and fly in there. I'll probably fly in late in the afternoon. Yeah. And yeah, I was thinking this is what in in my head this is what I'm thinking about um the uh I got something playing in the background. I don't know what the hell it is. Probably uh, a video in one of your browsers or whatever. Yep, I just shut it off. So, um, one of the one of the things that uh, uh, I've got, I mean, I've got so much crap going on right now. I'm trying to get the, the four days that's going to take. If I leave on, I, I'd have to. I have to leave on Tuesday because uh-huh. I, I, I'm I'm too much of a push to drive all the way straight through. Uh-huh. So um, I'll leave on Tuesday, and I can pick you up on Wednesday. We'll be there. We'll be there at the campsite Wednesday night. Yep. And start setting up for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and blast out of there on Sunday. Yep. I'll fly out Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, Sunday give us enough time to get to Asheville. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll take like a late morning early afternoon flight or something. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, because it, it ends up actually being a little bit cheaper for me to fly into Asheville than it does to fly to Knoxville. No, no Smoky Mountain? Yeah, I know. I won't be able to do it, but I'll get down there again sometime. Yeah. Yep. Actually, it'd be kind of a fun trip to go uh, and, gunk, and gunk around down there around Asheville, around Smoky Mountain. Yeah, it's gorgeous down there. The place you ought to you ought to check out if you want to go to the East Coast and see some cool shit is go to uh, go to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. And see University of Virginia, but then also see Monticello, which is uh, Jefferson's house. It's oh, yeah. awesome. Like the the history around there is just amazing. See where we're at, like there really isn't any. It's like well, uh great 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 grandfather came in and put up a farm and and build uh, a sod family and then yeah. build a sod a sod hut and fended off the indians for a while and yeah and oh and we tore all that down to make room for the new cornfield uh, hmm. <laughs> you know it's like they we don't have uh of course we do have the spirit lake massacre yeah um and i've actually been to one of the cabin sites that's on that nobody else can get to because it's on private land it's on the land of uh camp foster ymca and i was a camp counselor there for a summer so i got to go out there and and see all that stuff okay so so i i heard this the other day and i think that this is a, a good rule to live by um this is a quote from somebody really important it says, once a year, go somewhere you've never been before. And that was, unquote, that was by the Dalai Lama. Oh, okay. So I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. Go someplace once a year that you've never been before. Yep. So that's our that's our new family rule. We're, we're, we're going to do that now. Sweet. Yep. Well, I, I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's important. Take your whole family once a year. Someplace you've never been. Well, this year they're going to go to Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to learn how to ski so that I can take yeah, them next year to Colorado or to Utah. Ooh, that'll be fun, too. Yeah. Well, That'll be fun. I don't know okay, much else. Okay, so, no, I don't either until next time. Um, 
Like us on Facebook. Join us. Uh, you know, leave us some uh, feedback if you would on uh, iTunes. That'd be great. Positive um, would be best. <laughs> yeah, positive would be best. You know, I mean, you know, we've been trying to keep the dogs under control and stuff. So, <laughs> um, like us on Facebook. Follow us on uh, or or join us uh, at the uh, website knifejournal.com. Um, send us emails at podcast at uh, knifejournal.com, and we'll we'll do our best to get you on there and get your uh, your uh, points addressed. And um, that's about it. That's what else should they do? Keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper. All right. Next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.